What's up, everybody? We are back with another episode of the Class In Session podcast. That's right, the Class In Session podcast. I am your host, Logan Taylor, with my partner in crime, my brother, my co-host, Mr. Dante Hampton. And we have a very, very special guest for you all today. Dante. Um, it's, we have a unique, um, I would say a unique individual on our podcast today. It's just crazy how this even became full circle. Um, we actually met Dr. Cooper at a conference. Uh, it was our very first conference. So just unique for, for her to even be on the show today with us. Um, but Dr. Cooper is from Monroe, North Carolina, um, by way of Charlotte. Um, she's currently serving as, um, superintendent in Kennebuck, Maine. And by the way, she's the first African-American woman um, superintendent there as well. So we're excited. We're going to give some small claps for that because that's pretty legendary. But we're just excited to have Dr. Cooper on our podcast today. Um, Dr. Cooper, can you just enlighten everybody um, how you even got into education and just a little bit more about yourself? Okay, um, certainly will. Um, You've already mentioned I'm from Monroe. Um, North Carolina. And I have to say this because I have to give credit um, to, to my parents who just poured into um, their children. There are four of us. Um, I'm the second of four. My my oldest sister is in um, Monroe and, and serves as a teacher in South Carolina. Um, I went into education. My brother is in Durham. Uh, he is a pastor, has a church, and he's also a senior English teacher in uh, Durham uh, public schools. And then my younger sister, she just kind of broke the mold and she's an attorney. Um, Had working parents, um, didn't come from money or anything like that. We we were the family, like my dad said, I will always provide you with your needs. Now your wants, if you want that members only jacket that costs $50, you don't have to work for that. I can get you a jacket, you know? So we were were that kind of family. And and still to this day, we're all very, very, very close. And my parents are still there. Um, But yes, I went into education and let me tell you, this this is a long story. Uh, I I meant to tell you all that I like to talk a lot. So you're just going to have to do this, like cut, cut Dr. Cooper. This podcast is limited. but my sister and I were walking to school, third grade. I was in third, she was in fifth. And my mother sold Tupperware on the side. And for those who don't know what Tupperware is, you know, little uh, um, carry-ons or things, containers that you put uh, food in. And we were, we were giving some to our teachers for Christmas. And I said to my sister as we were walking, I want to be a teacher when I grow up so I can get a lot of presents from kids at Christmas. That was my motivation. That was it. I did not deviate from that. (laughs) So from third grade on, I was going to be a teacher. The reason changed. I didn't want to just get, you know, presents, but really and truly thought that I could um, impact a lot of people through through education because that's just the key. That's how you change your situation. And uh, particularly for uh, uh, people of color, you know, um, it's important that we have people that look like us supporting um, our students and making sure that they get a quality education. And that's what I'm about. Um, I wanna make sure that everyone's excelling, but especially for those who uh, have uh, an additional, you know, uh, hurdle to jump, that I'm there to support those kids. Absolutely, absolutely. Now for our audience out there, can you just explain the um, path you had to take to even 
get to a superintendent now? Like, I know, did you always know you wanted to go this higher up? Like, I know people go from like a teacher to a sense to principal or a teacher to a dean. Did you know you always want to get to this level? Because you you at the top now. So. Right. It's what, my aspiration was not to be a superintendent. Matter of fact, I said, I don't want that. You know, the, the, the politics are great, <laughs> you know, and, and I was about just doing the work, um, whether it was, you know, working with students directly or working with um, teachers. So the path I took was just a little different. And I'll tell you how I got on this path. Um, I started out as a teacher and I had um, 10 years serving as a teacher. Uh, while I was teaching, I went to uh, UNC Charlotte and I got my master's in administration. So my real aspiration was to be a principal. And that really was going to be it for me. I wanted to be a principal. Um, but that didn't happen. Once I got my uh, master's in administration, I jumped. I went from first base teaching, skipped second base, being a principal and went to central office. So I served as a coordinator for teachers. And then it just turned into a 13 year stint where I became a director of employee support services, where I was providing support to teachers, where I was providing support to principals, where I was going in and out of the state recruiting teachers, um, overseeing substitutes. So it just became a plethora of a lot of different things. And I was really, I was really good with that. I was like, oh, I love this. You know, you got a lot of travel in here too, and you get to help people. Um, the superintendent came to me one day and there was a school that was experiencing some challenges. And he said, I, I, I need to make a change in the school. And so um, I said, oh, OK. So uh, I went to his office and he said to me, he said, listen, I need your service principal of the school. And I'm going to tell you uh, it needs to be done immediately. It was like in April, in April. So, you know, school ends in June. Right. <laughs> so in April. And he said, you get to make the decision at the end of the school year, whether or not you want to return to central office or you want to remain a principal. And he did say this. I'm asking you this for three reasons. One, he said, um, you're loyal Two, I think for your leadership and three. And this is really critical right here because I didn't think this to be important at the time. And it was not on my radar. He said, if you ever want to be a superintendent or an assistant superintendent, he said, no one's going to really look at you because you haven't walked the walk of serving as a principal. And I was like, mm, OK, OK. And so that ended up um, me after you know doing a couple of months. I said, OK, I want to serve as a principal. And I did that in three different schools. And when I was asked to serve as superintendent here, I called him and said, I want to take you back to a conversation we had when you said no one was going to look at me had I not served as a principal. You were absolutely right. And I thank them. So. Awesome. That's that's, that's pretty awesome. Get, get in. Hello. I think that that's that's I actually think that that's amazing, Dr. Cooper, because you had people that helped you along the way to kind of give you some insight. And so what I want to ask is, is what is or what has been your biggest struggle with with doing the job that you're doing right now? Um, 
unfortunately, I entered this, this position when there was no blueprint for anyone. I entered the superintendency in a, in a new state, a state that's inherently different from North Carolina. And I entered it during a pandemic. So there was no normal for me. This is my first year of what is normalcy. Um, the first year, it was really, it was really uh, challenging, but not just for me. Um, it was challenging because no one knew how, how to navigate through COVID. You know, are we going to go to school? Are we going to do this remotely? Are we going to do this in a hybrid fashion? You know, there was a lot of fear. There was a lot of anxiety. There was just a lot of none of this had been done. So you're having to do this and make some decisions. Um, and, and, and you were no one's favorite <laughs> because if you chose to go to school, those who opposed that, you know, they were, you know, uh, um, they were, they, they voiced their concerns. Let's just say that. And if you didn't go to school, it was the same way. So it was a lot of creating some things, um, doing new things. And I didn't get a real sense of what the community is like or what the superintendency would be like in doing, you know, normal routine things that you would do. Um, fast forward to the second year, um, it was a little calmer because we were in school five days a week this year. Now I'm getting to really do some of that work that I wanted to do in year one. I will say this, that I'm not a person, although we had challenged COVID to sit and rest behind COVID because at the end of the day, kids still, they have to learn. We have, we, we have to provide some services to them, whether it's instruction or whether it's in their social, emotional being and those type things. So we were able to accomplish so many different things that, you know, when I look back and I, and I look at the list of things that we did, like, how did we do that during a pandemic? And if I, if I can do that with my team during a pandemic, there's nothing that can stop us from doing some amazing things for kids, because I'm going to always lead with kids. Kids will always be my North Star and in working with and working with teachers to accomplish that and administrators to accomplish that. I think that that's awesome. It's it's I know with being a superintendent, you oversee a multitude of people. And I know you deal with a bunch of different personalities. Uh, you know, you deal with dif different uh, ethnicities and things of that nature. With being a superintendent, what are some best strategies uh, for people that may be wanting to become a superintendent or uh, they're being a superintendent now? What are what have been some best strategies that you've used to be able to build relationships uh, with students, with your administration, with your people at central office and things of that nature? You have to be visible. You have to be present. Um, you have to talk to people, get to know them. Um, listen, and, and and you have to say, you know, we may not always agree, but I'm listening to you. I hear you. And anytime that you're having to make decisions, giving people the why, because people, people will sometimes, you know, they will listen to you and they will fall back if they understand your why. If you just come out and say no, <laughs> if you don't explain what you're doing and how it's going to impact whatever it is, your, your strategic plan that you have for your district. Uh, your goals that you have for your district. 
how those those decisions play into that and how it will impact students, then um, you're, you're not going to build those relationships. So I think um, one of the first things that I did when I got there, um, got here to Kennebunk, I, I, I had one-on-one -on -one meetings with people. So I met individually with my administrators. I met in, individually with community leaders, you know, whether they were faith-based, uh, you know, whether the, uh, the police department here met with those individuals, you know, um, you know, some movers and shakers and maybe not some movers and shakers in the community just to really get a pulse of, of things. And I think that's really important for anyone who's going in into this um, this job, which is a difficult job because you're very visible, um, very visible. And here I am very, very visible um, because we don't have uh, a minority uh, big population here uh, in my school system of 600 uh, employees and we have about 2,500 students. Um, we have in leader in, in leadership. And when I say leadership, I mean from director to principal to teacher and to teacher assistant, there are four people of color. Uh, I'm, I'm the superintendent. We have uh, one teacher that is African-American and we have two teacher assistants, one that is of Asian and then one that is African-American. Wow. And our population of minority students in this district um, is probably about 5%, I think. So you have some schools where you have um, a couple of schools, well, one school with no minorities at all. Um, so it's very, very, very limited. <clears throat> one of the things that I'm doing and the board uh, has set as a charge is that we diversify our um, student body, you know, by attracting families and diversify our staff. Uh, well, we had to put a lot of things in place even for that to happen. And you probably have another question about well, what are some of those systems and things that you have in place? And if you do, I'll I'll hold that quick. I'll hold my response, or I can answer now. You, you can go right on into that. You can go. Okay. Right. Okay. So um, when I applied for the position, I filled out a paper application. I just thought maybe that's because you know superintendent. I don't I don't know. When I got here, um, we we didn't have a human resources department, and we didn't have a human resources management system. So everyone was filling out paper applications. So if you're filling out paper applications, you're going to be very, very limited in people uh, having access to those positions and things like that. Or if you're advertising in the paper and or on a website that was um, not um, up to code, uh, you're, you're going to be, you know, you're going to have this limited uh, group of people who can access uh, your information. So that was one of the first things we did. We now have a human resources department. We have a human resources management system. So we're doing everything online. And when I say this year, applications have come in from everywhere. Uh, and we're seeing more uh, people from geographical areas. So I've hired some folks from Georgia, some folks from um, New York, some folks from North Carolina, even had someone, you know, uh, several people apply from out of country. Uh, we're just seeing a lot of difference in geographical location, which is diversity. 
we're seeing a lot of uh, people apply um, as far as ethnicity. Uh, so that's expanding. And so we, we, we're going to take that on the road. In addition to that, we're going to do some recruiting because the district had never done recruiting before. So we'll, we will travel to some of our HBCUs this year. That is a goal and connect um, so that we can just kind of diversify our leadership because it's important for the students who are there that they see teachers and leaders who look like them because we have students who will never, never have a person of color uh, that stand before them from their pre-K to their 12th grade experience. Wow. Woo. That's a, uh, yeah, that's a lot. That is a lot. Um, and it, it's funny that you say we talk about diversity um, and, and things of that nature, Dr. Cooper. My, my question is, is with you being an African-American woman in a, in a very high position, um, what has been what has been some of the myths that you that you've had to endure where you're like, like, y'all can't be serious or, you know, you're thinking like, wow, like, is this because I'm an African-American female? Uh, you know, being a superintendent and things of that nature would have would have been some common myths um, about your job that kind of made you like scratch your head to be like, people cannot be, you know, this uh, this naive and things of that nature. Um, as far as we, we know that there are there, there are going to always be people who, you know, uh, feel like you don't deserve a seat at the table. Um, and, you know, we 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 went through. um um, a situation here where, um, and you know, it was it was going all over the country, where uh, you had groups that were trying to recall, you know, the board, your school board, if they felt like you were too liberal, you were too what have you. Um, we weren't exonerated from that, and although it, it wasn't necessarily called out anything about me, um, we knew that that was a part of it. You know, um, board members were being sought because I said at the at the head of the seat, and uh, of course, that did not. It was not successful, and I was I was proud to say the town came out and voted it down three to one. So it was it was certainly a celebration that we're ready to move past this, and that the small voice that was causing this disruption about you know whether or not. We're teaching CRT, you know, critical race theory, you know, all of that was going around, you know, it, it, it just kind of faded away because the community spoke up. Um, have I had things like, you know, just in my face, you know, well, you know, I was just walking down the street and, you know, someone said, you know, this is a private street. I was like, I'm just two houses down. This is where I live. Oh, okay. Okay. Sorry. Didn't know that. You know, that that's, that has been probably the only thing that I've experienced. Nothing really uh, in your face. I think for me, what I have experienced is the big cultural difference of New England and the South. So uh, in North Carolina, you know, we're very, very, very state driven. So the state says this is your evaluation system. The state says this is how we're going to do this. And you go forth and you do it A or B way. Here, there is a, a grassroots approach. So 
everything is brought before people and people have an opportunity to express their opinion. So it's not, it's not so much you can just make these decisions. And, you know, I'm also in a state where we have unions or associations. So that, that, that has been the biggest um, learning curve for me is, is it's not top down. <laughs> there is some grassroots. So we're trying to have this happy medium here. Love it. Come on, Dante. Yes. Um, I, I just wanted to um, go back a little bit. I know you said you was doing a recruitment of teachers at one point. Mm -hmm. um, is there a particular trait that you used to look for? Because, of course, it's a podcast. Like I said, we had teachers on here. We had counselors. We had principals. Um, we even have parents on here as well. And we have parent listeners. And so maybe for somebody who's inspiring to be a teacher, because we know there's teacher burnout, of course. Um, right. Nobody wants to teach um, because of pay and things of that nature. So is there one quality trait that you look for as far as a teacher? Or is there something that should pop out for somebody yeah. inspiring to be a teacher that they might need or might not know about? I, I think you know me by now. I can't say anything with one word. So uh, I'm going to have to elaborate a little bit on that. So first of all, you got to love kids. And number two, you got to have some energy. You got to have some, some showmanship because you have to think when you're in front of students, I'm on stage and I'm performing. I'm performing. I'm putting on this show that I can draw kids in. And even when they're sick, they're like, I don't want to miss school because Dr. Cooper's going to do this and she's going to do that or she's going to do this. You have to have that fire in your belly and know that you are impacting students because, and this, I say this all the time and I say it to my administrators and I say it uh, when I have the opportunity to sit for uh, teachers, I said, what you do will either increase or limit the opportunities of students. If we don't give them what they need when they're sitting at the table from pre-K all the way up to 12th grade, then we have limited what they will have the capacity and the ability to do post high school. And I think that's a shame. And I think it, it, it is um, it's our responsibility to make sure that we are increasing that if, if, if Mary or if, you know, uh, Deshaun wants to do this, he has the right to choose, not because, you know, uh, because he has the skills and the knowledge to do that. It shouldn't be he's limited to these two positions or the these these opportunities because we didn't give him what he needed to be successful in many things. So I look for someone who, who, who loves kids and someone who's gonna bring their A game every day and perform for kids, but give them what they need to be successful post high school. All right. So for our audience out there, for everybody out there who's listening, um, the, we haven't heard that showmanship like perform. So I really like that. So for everybody out there who's listening, who wants to be a teacher or who wants to impact kids, make sure you have that showmanship and that fire to uh, to do that and increase. Like she said, you're going to increase or limit um, our babies. So I think that's very, very important. Um, Lo, you want to take that break real quick? Just let everybody know how they can get in touch with the podcast and everything. Oh, uh, yeah, real quick. So, Dr. Cooper, one second before we keep rolling, we got to pay some bills real quick, okay? Okay. 
All right, listen, guys, this is the class in session podcast. All right, I'm gonna say it a few more times just in case y'all don't understand me or hear me correctly. This is the class in session podcast. All right, and I need you guys to do three things for us I need you to like, subscribe, and leave a comment. All right, I need you to like, subscribe, and leave a comment. And listen, if you feel what we're doing is adding value, um, or if you think, hey, I love what they're doing and it's making an impact, share it with your network, share it with your community. All right. Again, guys, this is the Class and Session podcast, and I need you to like, subscribe, and comment. All right, Dante. All right. All right, Dr. We're we about to heat it up a little bit. This We're in the second half, so we're we, we about to heat it up. Um, but my question would be um, with a woman of your power, if there's one thing possibly you could change nationally, so this is on the, like, let's say the Department of Education calls Dr. Cooper and says, hey, you can change one thing nationally, uh, what would that be? Hmm. I would love to take the politics out of things and and, and, and truly just focus on um, kids. Um, of course. I think, yeah, I, 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 I really think that we really and truly look at our um, our offerings for um, students and staff in the direction that we're going. Um, it, it's, it's not a secret that educationally we're falling behind some countries. Um, you know, just in sheer number, uh, if, if we look at uh, China, if we look at India, you know, the number of students that they're able to produce you know, and they're they're excelling will exceed uh, our students because just of the sheer size of that, and we're we're going to fall further and further and further behind if we really don't put our money where our mouth is, and that we value education, and that we really want to make sure that we are churning out students, you know, smarter than how we, than when we receive them. So I think just really a a, a look at what systems and processes that we have in place to support students and to ensure that they are they're getting the best quality education. Because right now, I think uh, America's kind of falling behind. We have those, those who, who will get and those who are not turning out with, with those opportunities that I addressed earlier. Now, now do you think, because um, like we're, we're, we live down south in Chattanooga, Tennessee, so me, me and Logan, we, we was talking about, it was crazy, we was talking about the grading scale in Chattanooga. And this year they just went from where 90 to 100 is an A. And so with me coaching high school basketball, I had a, I had a kid, he had, I think it was three or 484s. And so I was just telling the teacher like, hey, you know, this is what I'm talking about. This kid is gonna have a 2.0 instead of a 3.0 and literally won't have a chance at college off of two points. Literally, um, how do you feel about standardized testing? Is that a, are you do you agree with that or do you prefer project based learning? Because oh, here we go, here we go. You don't you you don't know. They call me the data queen. Okay, so if the data doesn't say it, it's not happening. <laughs> it's not happening. But here's the thing: I I do believe in a combination of ways to assess students. I do believe in standardized testing. Okay. Um, as long as your questions are vetted, as long as your questions are based on standards, um, it's going to tell us what we're doing. 
right? It's, it's going to tell us whether or not the kid knows this or whether the, the, the child does not know this. It's going to tell us if the teacher is providing the instruction or the teacher is not providing the instruction. What I don't believe is using one assessment and saying that's it, because it could be on that day, I'm not feeling well. So I, I, you know, I just didn't perform well. So I think using multiple measures, whether they're formal assessments and they're informal assessments to really gather that holistic picture as to how students are, are performing and what we can do to support teachers to ensure that we're doing that. I think not having that, then you're going to create a, a greater divide because that information tells us who's performing, who's not. We already know that. We already know certain categories of students consistently underperform. Minus that data, everything, how are you going to support them? They're going to get further and further behind. So I, I certainly believe in standardized testing. And I, you know, I have people who totally disagree with me, but I've always said if the data doesn't say it, it's not happening. <laughs> Lo, that's the Lo. Just so you know, write write this down on this day. This is the first time we had somebody say they believe in standardized testing. By the way, Doctor Cooper, this is the first time. Yeah. And I asked and I asked people that because Logan tell you, I'm trying to get into this project based learning. I just want to mm -hmm. know more about it. We have a we had a school that just got built recently called Howard Connect, and they had the joint they had the joint classrooms. And it was pretty cool when we went in there just to check it out because they had math and science, but the kids were interacting together. Like they was doing the assignment together using math and science. And so the teacher wasn't for standardized testing. She was for project-based learning. But I so, did like I did like that as far as um as far as the multiple measures. That's the way she was saying she wanted to teach, the way you can measure a student not just by a test, but by actual assessments and by actual experience, which is pretty cool. But go ahead. Right. Well, that's what I was saying. I said you have to use multiple ways to do that. You, you don't just have one assessment. But I think a formal standardized assessment is necessary because that gives me some information. And yes, as I said, as you're doing those informal assessments or things like that, that includes your project base learning that includes you know some of those other things that you're those quick checks where i'm just simply asking you you know a, a, a one or two questions to rather to determine whether or not you understood you know that that concept so i think it's a combination of everything um so yeah kids do projects all the time i think that's important because you have those kids that are more tactile than they are sitting there with a pencil and paper it takes, it takes a variety of assessments to make that happen, but I certainly believe that standardized testing has to be a part of it. Come on in here, love. Come on. I look like you guys on the say. No, man, I'm just, I'm just taking it all in because the, the information and the gems that Dr. Cooper is dropping, uh, I just hope people are not missing it. Um, you know, she talked about standardized testing. Like Dante said, you are one of the first to agree with standardized testing. We've had some guests that have not agreed with standardized testing and they, you know, they think that that should be one of the changes uh, that should happen across um, our nation if they were to meet with the Secretary of Education and things of that nature. And I heard you talk about assessments. What are some of the assessments that you think work effectively 
uh, for our babies in today's uh, in today's education uh, space. Okay, so um, <clears throat> one of the things that we're doing in our district um, beyond the state tests that they take, we're building common assessments. And the way you build those common assessments, it shouldn't be a shock for kids. It shouldn't be a shock for them, right? So if I'm teaching, if, if I'm working with my group of teachers and we're going to teach a concept, the first thing we do is we build that assessment. What is it that we want kids to know? What is it that we expect them to be able to do? And we build our instruction, our lesson plans based on that. We teach that, we use the, sim the same verbiage when we're teaching kids so that when they get the, the assessment, oh, this is what we've been doing for the week. This is what we've been doing all month. This is what we've been doing you know, whatever the duration of that that lesson or that unit is, it isn't a shock to them. And when we, we get that assessment back and we say, hey, 40% of our kids, they, they didn't understand that. So now we, we need to dive deeper, deeper as instructors and say, was that because the information was flawed? Was the assessment flawed? Or was the best practice that we in, in which we provided this instruction was flawed? So, and, and, and that's what that information gives you um how to guide your your teaching and to make sure that you're on target with the standard the expectation that students are supposed to to master okay all right all right all right dr cooper i, I see y'all don't agree with me but that is okay <laughs> all right all right okay yep. all right so i got i got a i got a hot seat question for you um and with you being a superintendent Okay. Is there a number? Is there a number? Um, and before you, before you answer this, I really want you to think about this. Okay. Is there a number that you believe? And we don't judge, by the way, before he, yeah, yeah. We, we don't, this, is a this question zone. goes you know this. for everybody who comes on here. We know with your, with your current standing, you might can't answer, but hey, you know, you can answer mm -hmm. how you want to. Just throwing that out there. Is there a number um or a value that we could put on to pay educators um and i and i say this because this has been a this has been an ongoing problem for decades in regards to um the the education system pays teachers mm -hmm. right and so we know that that is a huge problem because they have to get multiple jobs um, you know, this plays a part in them having educator burnout and things of that nature. So the question that I want to ask, is there a number that you could put on to pay teachers to um, to show show them that you appreciate them? What, what do you think that number is? If there isn't one that you believe, that's fine. You know what I'm saying? But if there mm -hmm. is, what, what do you think that would be? Yeah. Or should I, be I better yet? Right. I don't think I can I can identify a number because what you get paid depends on where you are geographically you know so in the south the pay isn't as high as it is here cost of living is higher you know whatever but i do think teachers need to be paid more than what they get if we truly value educators if we truly believe that that instructor that stands before the teacher or that principal who works with uh teachers 
or those administrators in, in, in central office, you know, who help to guide teachers. If we truly value education, then we got to value the people who are doing the work. You know, I think about um, some of our other professions, you know, whether we're talking about lawyers or whether we're talking about doctors or whether we're talking about, you know, IT people, we're talking about this, that, and the other, you know, there is no other profession where you are directly impacting the future like we are. No other profession. Hands on with kids every day, all day. And we're not paying the people who are going to impact our future working with these kids. You know, it's just, it's, 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 it's unbelievable. So when we say people have burnout because educators have become, you know, the, the gatekeeper for a lot of things, they're not just teachers. They're dealing with social emotional, you know, uh, concerns. They're, they're guidance counselors, you know, and, 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 and some places they're serving as, you know, uh, uh, well, it just goes on. It runs the gamut of what they do. It's more than just I'm standing before you and, 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 and providing instruction. Um, and, and the people who are doing this work, they don't go into it for the money because nobody's going to get rich from being a teacher. <laughs> you know, you're just not. Uh, and as you mentioned, Logan, uh, they have to take on two and three jobs. When I was teaching, I did the same thing. I, you know, I worked at shoe show. I worked at big locks and sold some shades at a kiosk in a mall and all of that kind of stuff. And it shouldn't be that way for people who are working with our most precious commodity, which is working with our students. Did y'all hear that? She gave y'all the answer without giving y'all the answer. <laughs> so my number is uh, 80,000 is what I think they should start out at and then go up from there. Of course, mm -hmm. we know you got your teachers that's, you know, they some vets. They've been in the game 20, 30 plus years, things of that nature. Of course, their salary would be higher. But I think coming in, a teacher that wants to start off teaching, wants to get into education, I think that that bottom should be 80,000 and then go up from there. And of course, Dante, he has uh, a different point of view and things of that nature. And so I definitely want you to hear what he has to say, because I think that it's uh, I think that it's, it's very intriguing. But for me and what I believe, if I was to meet with the secretary of education and he said, hey, Logan, what you want the salary to be for, you know, for teachers all across our nation? I'm telling him 80,000 and then we just work our way up from there. Um, for me, it'll be, uh, for me, I just, I'm, I'm more of a systems type person. I'm more on building and securing, I, I will guess, because the talent pool is obviously, you don't have one, in my opinion. When it comes to getting teachers, it's like pulling teeth. Um, like somebody like me, I like to be around kids, but you can't, I just can't afford to be a teacher just because of my profession of being in logistics and the way I, I went, I can't personally do that. But I've been a consultant. I have been a sub before. I have done that, but I couldn't be a teacher full time. Uh, but for me, I think in order to even create a talent pool to get great teachers or get, like we had somebody who went from a scientist 
to a teacher to an assistant principal. So you have somebody that smart that finally tapped in. But I think you need things like a housing program. You need a car program. You need like a grocery program. If you got kids or whatever there may be, you need them to be able to go in Whole Foods and get 20% off. You know, I think if you have a system in place for first-time teachers and as it grows, then I think you will have that because we all know what the cost of living and inflation, you, you're going to need it. If you tell yeah. me as soon as I graduate or as soon as I get my master's degree, I can get a home, I'm pretty sure more than likely, and it's a package deal where it's a signing bonus or whatever they may be. Hey, you come to our district in Texas, we got a first first home buying program, and we have an actual dealership that can help you get a car. More than likely, you're going to have a lot of people signing up for that, especially the way things are. So that's just my opinion, though. Yeah, and there are a lot of systems that are doing that. So there are some, you know, um, relocation bonuses that they're offering. Um, there are also, you know, like incentives that they're putting out there to help support, you know, get get housing or those type of things like that. And I think that's absolutely um, great. Um, housing here is very, very limited. Um, you know, you just don't have apartments and things like you do in North Carolina or in some of the um, other places. So even for me as a superintendent, it was hard. It was difficult um, for me to even get housing because they have uh, what we call winter rentals. And then uh, during the winter, because um, depending on where you are, a lot of places are shut down for the entire win winter. So the homes are vacant and you can rent them. But then during the summer, that's when you know uh, business picks up and then you don't have that same home to live in because there are summer rentals that are ongoing there. So um, for me in, in this area, I had to move maybe eight times before I solidified a home um, because it's just that um, it limited as far as housing is concerned. So for, for us, that is something that we have to consider when we bring here, housing is extremely expensive here. So bringing in someone young and you're starting out at forty something thousand dollars, you're going to have to, you know, have some programs and 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 things and incentives in place to make it even, you know, uh, uh, easy for them to find somewhere to stay. Yeah, that, that I know that had to be difficult for you um, eight times. You said. Mm -hmm. Wow. That's so, a, um, that's a yeah, lot. yeah, 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 yeah. We, um, because it was like, again, you're, you're in there for a few months and then, you know, uh, they have summer rental. So you got to find somewhere else to go, you know, and, and because I valued this work and it was important to me, I mean, I, I was in a hotel for a couple of months you know, and, and, um, I did that because there was a lot of work to be done and I'm, I'm not a person to, you know, um, change in midstream if I'm committed to something. So, um, I know just from experience and I, and I say that not to say, Oh, look what she had to go through. No, uh, I'm saying that to say that it is a real challenge in, in this area and other areas as well beyond just where I am. So that housing and those uh, incentives that you spoke of 
are uh, things that need to be considered as we're bringing teachers in now, especially when there's a shortage. I think I think um, it's I'm just uh, grateful you shared that with us. I know I don't know for Logan, but for me, this is my first time hearing you know a superintendent struggle with housing, and I think it's unique also as well that shows uh, you're you're very resilient and determined in your role. Because I know with you already being a superintendent, it's like well I can just go somewhere else um, and relocate back. And so that means you're in an uncomfortable space. Um, me and Logan talk about that a lot as far as being in, being in an uncomfortable space and being able to succeed when you're uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. um, so for our listeners out there, if you're inspiring or if, thing, if, if the area that you're in are causing you to have to move multiple times, um, Dr. Cooper is a testament of that, that it still worked out mm -hmm. um, as, as she's doing big things up there. And Kenny Buck, correct? Kenny Bunk. Kenny Bunk. Okay. Um, but yeah. So as she see, as she teach me vocabulary right there, I never heard that word, by the way. <laughs> oh, I was saying, I was saying it wrong. So uh, I, I really, um, the district is made up of three towns and, they, and it's called three towns, one community. So it's Arundel, Kenny Bunk and Kenny Bunk Port. Those are the three towns that make up the school district. About how many people um, is in that? That city. Oh, you're gonna put me on the spot now. Uh, I want to say of all three, um, I don't 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 have me recorded on something. Let me let me. You're supposed to say, let me get back to you on that one. That's what you're supposed to say. <laughs> it's not saying we're gonna let you slide. Let me, let me look it up right. We're gonna let you slide. <laughs> um, Dr. Cooper, um, before we, you know, we probably have one or two more questions, but before we finish up um i first want to say thank you and give you your flowers um because i know i know it hasn't been easy um and i know that it's not easy um however you have been equipped and called to do what you're doing for a specific reason and so i want to give you your flowers um here right now why you can still smell them and say thank you for answering the calling I uh, just want to let you know that we value you and we appreciate you for everything that you're doing. Um, and again, like your testimony is a testament to um, how good the man upstairs is, as well as uh, there's somebody out there that's watching you right now and that's listening to this, that will be listening to this podcast and it's going to help them get through what they're going through. And so I want to say thank you. Uh, from the bottom of my heart and let you know how much we appreciate you. And again, give you your flowers and let you know that we value you. We see you and you are phenomenal and amazing. Thank you so very much. And something that you said um, <clears throat> that, you know, work can be challenging and, 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 and you said the man upstairs and, you know, I, I'm a firm believer in God and God has been front and center and 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 without him, uh, I could not have done this work. And and I, I want to make sure that I say I haven't done the work solo. I, I have a great team now in place that that support um, the vision and the mission that we've we put together. But um, I, I know God is 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 the um, is, is who I go to. Um, so in good times and in bad times and, and, and he will continue 
to get get me through whatever challenge I have. And um, I rest on him. And um, so I'm glad you mentioned that. Uh, and I'm not ashamed to say it. Me neither. I ain't ashamed <laughs> either. We both in the same boat. Right. Um, now let's run and tell that. <laughs> absolutely. So yeah, so I, I definitely want to do to everybody that comes onto the show. We definitely want to give them their flowers because it's not easy working in the education space. I know it's not easy being the first African-American superintendent um, for Kennebunk. And so I know that, you know, I know some of the obstacles and opposition that you've had to face, like a regular person wouldn't be able to do it. So, you know, I'm big on giving people their flowers and things of that nature, why they can still smell them. Um, but I want to ask, uh, cause you know, I can get all sentimental and stuff. Um, but you know, I want to move forward and I want to ask you, what is one piece of advice you would give to someone uh, starting out in your uh, in your position specifically with being a um, African American first female superintendent? What would be one piece of advice you would give to somebody? Build a network. You always mm. need to build a network. Um, have a group of people that you can, you know, talk to, and 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 you know. It, not someone necessarily you report to or people who are within your your district, but someone you can bounce ideas off of, you know, someone who's walked the walk and you can you can get some solid advice. Um, uh, having a different outlet because you need to separate sometimes the, the work from your personal life. Um, so building that 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 uh, collegial uh, network group of people that you can talk to, you can, you know, celebrate with, you can cry with, you can ask questions, get counsel. I think that's really important that you do that. Because if you don't, you're going to lose yourself in the work and you're not going to be the best version of yourself. How have you been able to avoid, um, I've never, I've never heard anybody say superintendent burnout. So I'm I was going to say educator burnout, but how have you been able to avoid uh, with working in administration and stuff like that? How have you been able to avoid burnout? Because I know that that's important and we know that it's at an all time high coming out of COVID, um, especially. So have, how have you been able to avoid that um, for so long? Well, um, for me, uh, as I said, you know, when, when you have a great team, the work isn't as isn't as challenging as it could be. Um, and, and, and just, I'm like everyone else, you know, when, when you're new to something, you put 150% in, right. Uh, you go above and beyond because you, you're, it's the learning curve that you're trying to navigate. And I did that year one, year two, that learning curve wasn't as great. So, you know, you could pull back from a, a few things and you could release, <laughs> um, your hands being on everything with a few things and, and delegating. And this year, now we can see some of those things that we had in place really taking fruition and you and, and you see the work coming together and, and, and the pressure isn't great because now we don't have the pressure that we once had with COVID. Now we're still practicing safety and, and doing all those things right to keep our students and staff safe, but it's not at the same level that it was. So my, my, my celebration is that there is some some release here and some relief because now I'm, I'm entering this new year of, of, of normalcy. Uh, and, and it's looking good. It's looking good. So we just want to continue to be on this, 
on this journey, on this path. Okay. All right. I'm, I'm picking up what you're laying down. So listen, guys, she said you need to release. So for those of you that are, that are superintendents or those of you that work uh, in the administration, you need to release. It's very important that you release. It's very important that you delegate. You know, if you have the vision, allow the people that work for you or work with you, allow them the opportunity to build that vision out for you. Okay. So she said, release Dante, you got anything before we get up out of here? Um, I think, uh, we need to really put a, I guess, an asterisk, um, by building the network. Um, I really think that's important. And she, um, Dr. Cooper even explained that earlier, um, when we was talking about how, you know, the individual gave her an opportunity and said, Hey, you need to be a principal, you know, you need to walk the walk. Um, and basically saying you can't skip the process, but in return, she was doing the work that she was able to hurdle but it, it shows you, you still have to go through that. Like you still have to be a principal for her to even get to where she is now. Um, so just for everybody out there, our listeners, teachers, um, principals, uh, dean of students, don't don't skip the work. Um, you, you never know how education falls. Uh, one of my best friends, he was he's a head coach of a basketball program, but he was a dean of students. And he had he literally went back to be a PE teacher because he realized I have a more impact. My impact is more so on hands on than being a dean of students. Like, yeah, I can deal with behavior issues, but my, I have a more of an impact more so with PE and being a physical education teacher. So um, I think it's just big on building that network and talking to different individuals throughout the country. Um, like I said, full circle building that network. We would have never met Dr. Cooper had we went to the conference in Nashville. Mm -hmm. We would have never, we would have never even crossed paths. Um, you could say that's God work. I just believe things happen for a reason. Um, so it's just unique. And so this podcast is pretty special to me that we literally met you and you came by our booth. It's like, hey, who are you guys? And we were just <laughs> like, hey, Dr. Cooper, like, wow. You know, so it's just unique to see it full circle and to actually be talking to you again. So right. like Logan say, we're very appreciative that you even came on our podcast. Um, this is for educators, but you are the first superintendent we've had on here, by the way, just like oh, you, the yeah. first African-American woman superintendent. So you are the first superintendent on our podcast as well. So well, it's certainly my pleasure. It's, it, it's been my pleasure. And this has really been a great opportunity. So I just hope someday you'll bring me back. Maybe we can talk about testing. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, listen, you're more than welcome to come back. The door is open for you. I'm gonna roll the red carpet out for you and everything. So I really appreciate it. Um, but before we get out of here, can you uh, let people know how they can get in touch with you if they have any questions or they need resources or anything like that? Right. They can contact me via my email. Um, and I do you want me just to say that what it is? It is Terry T E R R I T I C R. 646 at gmail.com. So it's T E R R I T I C R 646 at gmail.com. Make sure y'all contact her. Um, she does, like I said, she is a superintendent. So anybody looking to move up, relocate, we don't know what she has, but hey, you know, it, it doesn't hate to get in her network, reach out to her, see what kind of position she may have open. And 
possibly, you know, just bounce ideas off her. Like she said, she comes up with common assessments, things of that nature. So it wouldn't be a bad idea just to connect. And the last piece, uh, Dr. Cooper, is can you leave our listeners with a piece of motivation uh, before we close out and get up out of here? Yeah. So let your heart be your guide. Um, be kind to people. Um, respect uh, individual differences and just love one another. And I think if we do those things, we are a much better people. We're a but much better nation and we're doing what um, we're charged to do. Y'all heard what she said. She made it very plain, simple, and she was very concise and clear. So listen, guys, trust the process and I promise you, you'll get a reward for it. All right, Dr. Yeah. Cooper, thank you so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you so much. I can't say thank you enough. Um, and listen, guys, this is the Class In Session podcast. I am your host, Logan Taylor, my partner in crime, my brother, my co-host, Mr. Dante Hampton. And in closing, like we always say, why be normal? When you can be extraordinary. All right, guys, we'll see you next episode. Peace. All right, bye-bye.